The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the pee Oh man! Yes, sir. It's all eyes on Cleveland, and I am your host, Brad Ward. We have a fantastic show for you tonight. Special guest, Jake Burns, film analyst and football writer from the OBR. Maybe the smartest guy when it comes to football in the entire city is with us tonight to discuss everything going on with the Browns in camp, the rash of injuries, Baker, the offense, all of it. We'll talk about all of it. Plus, I've got some thoughts on camp myself. The uh, Browns have made a couple acquisitions and uh, looking to make more. Who is the best third wide receiver on this team? And how are they going to split up the carries between Nick Chubb and Green Hunt? All that plus so much more, you start getting excited. It's all eyes on Cleveland. Boom! There it is. We are back in full effect. All eyes on Cleveland. Mikey on the one to twos. I am your host, Brad Ward. Special guest, Jake Burns of the OBR will be with us uh, for a very special interview. He is fantastic. Probably one of the, uh, if not, he probably is. He's probably the best follow for a Browns fan in in all of the town. No joke. And you can follow him at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, His film breakdown makes you smarter. Football guy. uh, uh, His evaluations are terrific. And uh, he seems to have his finger on the pulse of everything going on with the Browns usually. So, um, very good follow. I recommend it highly. All Eyes on Cleveland is uh, a show that can be found uh, where all popular podcasts are found. Including uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play. Plus, uh, you can always go to all eyes on Cleveland.com. So, uh, that's that. And that's where you can get the show. So, go ahead and get it. Subscribe. Go ahead and leave, uh, you know, how many ever stars you feel like we deserve here at All Eyes on Cleveland, you know? Just just do your thing there. Thrive Fantasy app is a uh, an app. So you, you know all the, the daily fantasy game out there, and, and I play daily fantasy a lot, but uh, Thrive Fantasy is a different uh, sort of daily fantasy uh, eliminating all of the 
countless hours of research. No more sweating the weekend cut if you're playing PGA. It's a prop bet daily fantasy sports app. So if for the NFL, they lay out 20 player prop bets. You pick 10 of them, the 10 that you like the best. The more risky the option, the more points it's worth. For the NBA, MLB, PGA, and eSports, 5 out of 10 player prop options. They lay out 10, you pick 5. Depending on the odds, you take the riskier one, you get more points. Rack up the most points and win a share of the prize pool. They have awarded over $1.4 million in prizes since launching in 2018. It's Thrive Fantasy uh, with prop bets. Go ahead and use the promo code EYES, as in all eyes on Cleveland, E-Y-E-Z, EYES, when you sign up today, and you will receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store and or by visiting uh, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. That promo code is EYEZ, E-Y-E-Z, free $20 at Thrive Fantasy. Pretty cool stuff there. Check it out for, cer- for cereal. <laughs> for cereal. Oh, man! Uh... No, seriously, it is uh, that the prop bets, uh, it's different. The points are different. You know, there's prop bets that I look at all the time, and I'm like, dang, that's a lock, right? So you go through the 10, you can find five locks and bank. No, uh, none of the pros, the people entering lineups 150-plus times, like a DraftKings fan duel, not giving you any chance. None of that stuff. It's, it's uh Levels of playing field give you a chance to win some money and and uh, get some some skin in the game. So uh, get in on that action. So sign up and prop up at Thrive Fantasy app. Uh, let's get to the interview here tonight. We'll come back. I have some thoughts on camp uh, and a couple acquisitions to go over today. But for your brownies, Cleveland Browns, uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. This is the interview with the uh, very special very uh, smart and uh, terrific uh, to listen to, Jake Burns. Uh, he heads up the OBR's uh, film uh, breakdown, and uh, they have a YouTube channel and a podcast with that as well. So uh, here he is. Uh, without any further ado, Jake Burns and myself, everything you need to know about the Browns going on right now. Our guest today is Jake Burns. He's a film uh, analyst and football writer for the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, he heads up the OBR's Film Room uh, Breakdown podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, how are we doing today, Jake? Brad, I'm great, man. I'm really good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So uh, we've got uh, tough times here for the Browns uh, a little bit. A rash of injuries here. Plaguing the Browns' defense, a defense that already had some uncertainty, in my opinion. In order to put some of these personnel changes into perspective, I wanted to start with Joe Woods and what he wants to do schematically with the Browns' defense. We know that he, um, and have talked about on the show here, that he was 
uh, a part of, uh, you know, San Francisco's defense last year where they ran uh, Seattle's cover three press bail probably like 70% of the time. Um, and uh, so my question is, do you expect to see uh, a lot of that this year? Um, Personnel-wise, I know that our corners, I think, are more – man-to-man type guys. So I was interested to see what you expect from Joe Woods uh, scheme-wise. Yeah, I think we've been going through this a lot, myself and John Stephenson, who writes for us at the OBR. And, um, you know, the general feeling that John and I have, and he's on Twitter at All Chalk Talk 20, All 22 Chalk Talk, good follow there, by the way, um, is that we don't know. Like, we ha- we know that, that Woods is, has done a, a myriad of different things. He's He's been with successful defenses in Seattle, and he's been with, you know, Denver where he ran the show for a little bit, and then and then with San Francisco. And we think it's going to be heavy cover three usage. We think they want a middle of the field player. We think they want guys. They, I generally think they want their corners to be more aggressive than they were last year. More press bail, more true man to man. They, you know, I broke down and I'm trying to get to all the rookies tape on the YouTube channel before. The, the beginning of uh, this actual season kicks off. And I, the only rookie I have up there right now is Greedy Williams. And Greedy struggled in true bail coverage. If he's playing off zone coverage, he just doesn't react well. Some guys are, um, you know, better suited to be read and react. They have a good feel for route, uh, I guess, to be deciphering routes, whether it's in or out cut, whether it's post cut, whether it's a double move. Uh, they have a feel for it. Now, I understand that he's only a rookie, but just the anticipatory skills were not quite where you wanted to see them. I didn't love it and I always thought he was a little late breaking and reading things that were happening in front of him. So when he was in off coverage, I just didn't love it. And I, I think the same thing for Denzel Ward. Denzel reacts quicker because I think he's just a better football player, but it's just not the, the comfortable nature of those two guys. So I do think you will see an uptick in, in aggressive corner play in terms of how they approach their cover three press bail. Still obviously having a, a deep third responsibility, but being a little bit more assertive, a little bit more hands-on. I think you'll see that. But I think I think Woods will also, as he said, he he, he will try to use a potpourri of the, the most successful schemes he's seen across the league and he's been in the league for a long time he's seen a lot of things and he knows what san francisco was able to do with the dominant defensive line if the browns are going to have anything that's dominant on this group i think it's certainly going to be their defensive line so if he's going to be unique in how he approaches getting pressure on the quarterback plenty of too high stuff from san francisco last year open field coverages meaning too high safeties leaving the middle of the field open and kind of approaching what they want to do from there i look I I also have had this conversation with John. I'm sick of breaking down things and guessing, right? Like I've seen uh, Todd Haley come in. I've I've seen Hugh Jackson run offense, Haley run offense. I've seen Freddie take over, then change it to what was more his thing in 2018. I'm sorry, 2019. And it's like I'm I'm still kind of guessing what Kevin Stefanski is going to do. I have a a general feel from Minnesota, but it's different, right? It's a different team. It's a different personnel group uh, from, from, from the offensive line all the way through their tight end wide receiver quarterback. It's like we're guessing all the time. I would just love to have it where we had a couple consistent three or four years with the same DC and the same OC. It's like I can actually see what tendencies are coming because we're really guessing. Like I I thought Freddie was going to carry more of what worked well for him in 2018 and 2019. But between him and Todd Monken, they totally transformed what they wanted to do, overthought the process, and we saw what happened. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean people want me to – uh, sort of decipher what they're going to do on both sides of the ball. And it's a fair question. Everyone wants to know, but it's like we're, we're totally leaving it to conjecture because we have a feel for what they've done in the past, but they have never used the Browns personnel. So we don't know. Are they going to use as many tight ends offensively? I don't know. Are they going to use, you know, more too high open coverage stuff with Woods because he's a little afraid that now he doesn't have Delpit. He doesn't have a middle of the field guy he loves. I, I don't know. I, we don't know. We have a general idea. We try to inform people of what they've run in the past, but 
we are not able to predict what they're going to run in the future. Just give you an idea of what you might see. Give us a couple games. And the thing that's particularly tough, Brad, is we don't get any preseason, so we don't have any oh, idea. We get, yeah. tight, we, we get tight angle views of training camp, and that's all we have right now. So we have no idea until they play September 13th what each side of the ball is going to look like. So once the season starts, and this is kind of the tough time for me as a writer, it's like, man, I'm chopping at the bit to figure out what the heck I can write about. I can only write about stuff for so long from last year. It just gets dried out at some point. you gotta you got to get some new fresh film and usually have some nice preseason tape to break down. We don't have any of that, so kind of stuck with um, guessing things like when somebody's signed, like Malcolm Smith was signed to put up a film room on him. It's like, God, I can actually watch something different now. I can't watch the same 16 games and my eyes are bleeding from watching the same 16 games over and over again. Or we put up something <laughs> yeah. on um, something on Curtis Weaver we put up today, too. I put up a little film study yeah, on what his – I watched it, yeah. Yeah, what his resume was there at uh, – Hey, boys, you stay. So, yeah, I, listen, I, I think you're going to see a ton of cover three, but mm-hmm. hell, we could, we could see a completely different approach come week one. We're, just, we're all going to figure it out together. And the point will be that we'll spend time, you know, after that game, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, informing you of everything we learned as much as, you know, what you were able to learn too. At least, uh, with Joe Woods, and it certainly sounds like, you know, that he's willing to, uh, adapt and morph his defense to who he's playing, which is, I guess, better than, you know, uh, I, I, at least I feel better about, uh, more than just, Hey, this is what we're going to do week in, week out. Right. And, and the fact that he is, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to take a version of all 10 defenses that I think work the best and make it work. You know, uh, I, I guess I can get behind that a little bit more than, Hey, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. So yeah, we don't really know, but at least it seems like he's open to, uh, that week to week change. Right. Yeah, he said the right things. I mean, you know, people get um, a little bothered by well, you can't win the press conferences. Well, you can you can also I, I agree you can't win them. You can't win games, but you can also, in my opinion, lose things there. So it's yes. like if they're not saying the right things, you would be bothered like you want to say the right things. And they're saying, you know, there have been groups here that the Browns have had come through that just didn't even say the right thing. So it's like you want to hear them say the things that they're saying um, that need to be correct, like the things they're saying have to. You know, kind of funnel into modern football, funnel into modern thought process, be adaptable. All of those things have thought process alignment, and they've done that. It's been good to see, and that's good, right? You're not going to put a ton of weight into it because it's just sitting in front of a microphone, but you need them to, to at least think the right things. Now, practical application is a completely different thing on Sundays when things get hectic, and and uh, that's when we really see who's who in the modern you know, NFL in terms of coaches who are able to adapt and apply and put their players in situations where their players are strong suited for. So those things we have to see still. But right now they're saying the right things, which is good. You need them to say the right things. You need to talk about it being adaptive. We need to talk about putting their players not for a system, but putting a system that works with the players and strengths of those players being applied. Uh, uh, how you yeah. can take advantage. So um, yeah, that's that to me is uh, is certainly the good and certainly what you have, you, you really want to hear. And off to a good start in that department. Yeah, now you're going to see it. All right, so uh, that makes sense. Uh, so I, you, you mentioned it already. You did the uh, film breakdown on Malcolm Smith, former Super Bowl MVP. Um, you know, uh, Browns bring him in. He hasn't played much here in the last couple of years, right? So uh, I went to, and watched your film study breakdown, and I must admit, uh, Jake, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I that's not what I expected to see, but he. Uh, does seem to um, be okay in coverage at times. And uh, wh- what do you think he can provide this defense as far as, you know, with Mac gone and everything? Just a veteran presence. I mean, in his heyday, in, in his earlier years, 
He was a guy who could run pretty well with tight ends down the middle of the field. Uh, pretty solid, decent change of direction. Uh, I thought he was okay as a run defender. Kind of read and react, get downhill. Does not shed blocks very well. Doesn't stack shed like you'd like a, a real strong interior linebacker to do. He will sometimes try to take the evade route, which costs him to give up gap responsibility. Look, I, I don't I don't think he's even a guy you really want to see start that much. If he does and he overachieves, that's great. You rarely see linebackers going into their 30s getting better. You know, Demario Davis is like the one outlier that we've seen in a long time, a guy who just kind of somehow figures it out. Like it just clicks mentally. Now, maybe that could happen for Malcolm. I don't know. But um, he's just okay. He's okay. And that's, you know, it's better to play an okay, decent average linebacker than it is to stick somebody out there who's an undrafted free agent or, you know, just a body or that could really, really hurt you in the grand scheme of things. So, um, look, he's not, he's not a guy that I would expect to come in here and play a ton. He has not played a ton over the past two seasons was, was, uh, was hurt in San Francisco Mm-hmm. Uh, after he had signed, he, he spent time obviously with Seattle. That's where he saw his best success. Uh, you know, the big interception on the Crabtree tip ball that Sherman knocked in the air went to him yep. in the conference championship and Super Bowl MVP, where he found some things that bounced in his direction. Um, <laughs> and that's great. That's good for him. You know, like the, the, those weren't miraculous plays or anything, but they, it was where he needed to be when it needed to happen. And that's what is it like 90% of the battle in the NFL is being where you need to be all the time. So, um, but you know, he goes to Oakland. Okay. 2016 was like his last decent starter snap year. Um, bounces between Jacksonville only saw time in the NFL in 2019 at the very end of the year when Dallas was beat up. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, okay, an okay guy, but at the end of the day, pretty forgettable type of player, but he could just kind of fill a role, you know, if they want, if they want to play three linebackers, he could step on the field. You know, I think the, the leaders in the clubhouse are obviously Goodson and Jacob Phillips and Taki Taki will, 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 will certainly get a, will get a strong chance to prove he's an early down run defender too. He's just very physical and he runs pretty well too. So mm-hmm. it's just going to be a position of weakness, Brad, until they can figure it out or until one of these guys really shows that they can prove themselves. We have no other way to think of it as other than it's just going to be a position of weakness and uh, you hope for the best. Yeah, two questions about that linebacker position. I'm going to jump ahead here on my list because I had a question about that. I mean, you have him, right, Malcolm Smith, and then you have a guy like Jacob Phillips and it – does it make more sense to just get, even if it beats you sometimes, to get Phillips the reps and get him on the field just because he's a young guy and, and you know he's going to be a part of your future, even though it may hurt you at times? Um, do, do you understand what I mean? Kind of. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I think I think you want if you're going to take lumps, you'd rather take lumps with 21 year old Jacob Phillips than you would with 30 year old right. Malcolm Smith. So like, right. you want him to learn and grow, but at the same time, he has to he has to certainly be. The, the the lumps can't be the type of lumps that cost you 14 points a game. So he has to at least be respectable and be able to to find a level of decency in the defense that isn't going to continually hurt them. And understand, you know, that's the the fine line that Woods and, and Jason Tarver, the linebacker co- have, coach, have to walk, which is, you know, how much can we accept negative play without trying the next guy? You know what I'm saying? Like we can't we can't let somebody continually hamper us defensively even though he's a young guy so so phillips if he's just below average to average that's great they'll work with him they'll get him better and uh, put him in positions to succeed i expect jacob to get every chance to play early i mean uh, there's no better situation for a linebacker i think across the nfl than maybe cincinnati's the other team that would have that sort of opportunity for for a young linebacker but phillips will get every opportunity to be a week one starter and and i do think that their ideal situation is that we roll with with Phillips and and we take some lumps with him, but we see him to start slowly, progressively getting better by the end of the year. They have high hopes for him, and again, he's a young guy. 
you want that to work out. So he's a five, six, seven, eight year player for the team. So I think they're uh, they're certainly hoping Phillips can can provide some stability there, and they're willing to to eat a little bit if you can see sort of that light at the end of the tunnel. Do you think, uh, Jake, that Andrew Barry and and company in the front office look at linebacker as a position of lesser importance, or maybe maybe not lesser importance, but uh, lesser priority as far as like roster allocation goes. Oh, of course. I, th- I, I, they, there has to be money saved somewhere. You can't have two elite defensive ends and uh, a Bobby Wagner paid linebacker, or even a Joe Schobert paid linebacker, and 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 pay all of right. your defensive backs that they're they're investing. And they have invested. People forget they've invested in the number four pick, a second round pick, and a, and a high second round pick, and the two others that they've drafted just recently. So they have to pay all those guys if you hit. So it's like if you look at what is our ideal plan, you build a strong front four with interior defensive line coming after you get your edge pass rush set, and then you start paying your corners, you start paying your safeties, then you start paying your linebackers, and you really shuffle in and out the linebackers. People have kind of made that. Uh, comparison that they're the running back of the defense in terms of yeah. positional value and I, yeah. I certainly understand that if I'm looking to strengthen one thing two things on my defense that mean more long-term stability it's certainly going to be getting after the passer pass rushers up front and then cornerbacks who can play the elite wide receivers that are all across this league and then you know I would value positional value in terms of paying low for guys that can do multiple things you know, safety and linebacker kind of hand in hand. I'd prefer safety payment because they do more pass coverage. They do more flexibility things than linebacker. So it is the position that they're looking to invest in least. I don't see them second contracting many, if any, of these guys. Uh, Phillips might be a guy that, that they could, if they like him in the first two years, that's a pay early type. So they would want to get out in front of paying him early. So we'll see. I, I, it's too early to tell, but the general idea we have here, the way that they neglected paying or going after pursuing any linebacker of significant substance as they did with like Austin Hooper, Jack Conklin, or yeah. going after, uh, you know, even more so going after more linebackers in the fir- in the one year mold like they did with Sandejo and Carl Joseph. Um, it certainly seems like they're trying to skimp that position by, and, and the telltale was letting Schobert walk because that's a guy who loved Cleveland. He wanted to be in Cleveland, but did not even get a single contract offer between the John Dorsey and transition to Andrew Barry area era. So um, yeah, it's pretty obvious that they're going to skimp out on that position and just hope to uh, to get by with smart, savvy free agent signings and and drafting those uh, second to fifth round type of guys. Yeah, young athletic guys. Interesting. Okay. Uh, very good. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland special guest Jake Burns, family, film analyst and football writer for the OBR. Uh, so Grant Delpit uh, goes down, obviously, um, terrible situation, and you feel really bad for the kid. But as far as the Browns go, if, if we're looking at this, you know, Woods called him ideal for what they wanted to do in the back end of the defense. Uh, I wrote a piece on potentially adding Logan Ryan. Um, I know that you have some thoughts on Earl Thomas. Uh, as far as these injuries goes, uh, you know, especially now if we're kind of moved from linebacker to the uh, to the back end of this defense, I worry about. I, I want to see some action at this point from Andrew Barry, obviously, because I just worry about the, uh, a lack of um, any kind of talent back there wasting the potential and the investment on the offensive side of the ball because the back of, you know, the defense is just so beat up and so bad that you're not in games or anything like that. So obviously that's a worry. So I would like to see some action here. Uh, maybe try to bring in some talent or something. Like I said, I, I wrote a piece on Ryan. I know uh, you have thoughts on Earl Thomas. Where are you at with replacing Delpit here? 
It's tough. It's really tough, and it's 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 so close to a season, and not a regular season, but a weird season where you don't really know how eager guys like Logan Ryan are to play. It doesn't right. seem like Logan Ryan's all too interested in playing for anybody because we haven't heard any rumblings, and it's like uh, maybe that guy opted out. Earl Thomas, who knows, man. I, at this point in the year, getting ready to go into a season, it's going to be very challenging for them to find anybody who can make a difference. The same with signing you know, Malcolm Smith and you just you just don't know. Like even the guys like Nigel Bradham gets cut from the Saints, and people really kind of wanted him as a fringe guy at the end of free agency. It's just very weird right now, and I, I don't think you're going to see if they go sign Logan Ryan or they're able to sign Earl Thomas. I'll be surprised, pleasantly surprised. I'm not opposed to anybody at being you know being added to these roles. They need if they were going to skimp on linebacker, they certainly knew that they had to have safeties that were willing and able to play flexible different positions. Delpit was that guy. Yeah, you know Joe Woods even has mentioned just recently that he was coming on and, and it's it's really unfortunate you know it's it's sort of unfortunate the way it worked out there and it puts him in an even worse spot because Kevin Johnson is is certainly running a line of mystery right now and he's a guy you thought could play close to the line of scrimmage as a slot corner yeah so Brad I don't know man and I don't think there's a perfect answer out there that, that we're going to find you don't find answers this late in this you know in preparation and you just have to hope that your depth that you're able to bring in that the Browns do have three safeties that they feel okay about and red wine Sandejo and Carl Joseph and, and uh, keep your fingers crossed that somebody else can step up. Maybe they move Mitchell outside a little bit more and can bump greedy or ward inside. Um, let, let, like I said, let Terrence Mitchell play more outside corner. Cause I think he's just been a steady guy since he arrived in Cleveland. They like him a lot. So yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know, man, we're gonna have to keep our eye on it. There are names out there that we had. Uh, we put something up at the OBR on the same topic. Uh, just a bunch of different players that are out there. Mm. to 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 be interested in if you want to be interested in them but the the pickings are slim they're always slim this type of year but it's even more slim that a guy would probably turn down a veteran minimum deal because he'd rather just sit out the year with the weird covid situation that is already that is already taking place you don't see guys who are hungry to come in and play because you're not even getting fans you're not even getting good money it's like man you, you you really probably don't find too many i just love to play types this time of year. So I would be pleasantly surprised if they do bring in somebody of substance. I expect them to bring in somebody, but it'll probably be somebody who we're all saying, uh, who, and yeah. that's, um, you know, it's just kind of yeah. the nature of the beast right now. Yeah. It, I mean, they gotta be like what scouring, uh, for cuts here coming up. Does a trade market develop here a little bit as cut, cut time approaches a little bit where maybe, uh, some teams are dealing from a position of strength, uh, with the Browns get involved in something like that. You think? Wouldn't put it past them the way Harrison Bryant's taken off this camp. Yeah. From everything that we've gathered, we've seen some clips. I can't can't gather everything, but people are speaking highly of him. Maybe they feel the need to keep Stephen Carlson. They like Farrell Brown. They say we could move Njoku for somebody who's interested in him, and uh, they could deal from a position of linebacker or you know in the secondary of strength, and the Browns could capitalize on that. I do think that they should be interested in scouring free uh you know the waiver wire for defensive tackle help because after. Sheldon, uh, and, and certainly they need somebody that can back up Larry Ogunjobi. The Andrew Billings opt out that really hurt them because I think they thought highly of Billings. But yeah, the, the market for, for cut, cut days down to 53 rosters not far away, a week away. So I think that the Browns will be, will be all over that and, and trying to take advantage of as many of those Curtis Weaver type situations that they can, where they could pick up somebody who sort of a, a, at least has the upside of one side, you know, whether it's production, and, and tape looks good, or the analytical profile like it did with Weaver looks really good. They're gonna they're gonna try to uh, to try to capitalize on that as best they can. 
Okay, very good. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, special guest Jake Burns, film analyst and football writer for the OBR. A couple more questions here for you, Jake, if you have time here. Um, MJ Stewart, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks GM Jason Light actually wanted to move him to safety, I read. Uh, you know, he lacks some athleticism, straightaway speed, uh, height. You know, he's kind of short. Uh, they, you know, mentioned that he'll probably could have a tough time guarding, uh, good to decent receivers, even in the slot at times. Um, but he's very good at the line of scrimmage and has a high football IQ. Is that something they should consider? Maybe moving him to safety, uh, as a box safety kind of, and fill that, uh, Delpit role a little bit. Yeah, I think they will. They have no choice. I mean, sort of playing, Nickel corner and box safety kind of go hand in hand because you're, yes, you're really yeah. bumping out and sliding out just outside the tackle box sometimes. So I think that they, some teams have a specific name for that position. Like I think Ohio State used to call it. I'm not sure what they do it under Mattingly now, but they used to call it a viper. Some teams call it a star. It's like a, it's a specific position where you're sort of like strong safety-ish. You're creeping up toward the line, but you're also playing coverage in the – curl flat area sometimes you're also covering slot players occasionally you're blitzing occasionally and uh and mj stewart can handle those things he's a physical guy plays the run game pretty well not very twitchy cover guy struggled right. with read recognition stuff in tampa bay uh didn't quite live up to his billing there but as as the brown situation goes and i know mj i think it's fighting a little bit of a groin issue himself or hamstring one of the two hamstring, yeah. um yeah he he's 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 probably, by virtue of injury, lucked himself into a role here as long as he can keep that hamstring from, from keeping him out for a long time. And he'll be serviceable. He'll get beat. And, like, I don't want to tell Browns fans to to feel a certain way because you can all feel how you want to feel. But, you know, personally I'm expecting the defense to struggle. I just don't think it's going to be a great defense this year. They've lost a couple important players to positions that we thought they were thin already. Yeah. Uh, maybe they can overcome, and if they do, that'd be great. I'm not expecting it, though, and I think the offense probably starts a little bit slow. Hopefully the run game is as good as we think it can be to make up for what I think will be really challenging times in the passing game to start because it's so timing-based and so rhythm-based and so repetition-based. So I need – I need I can't say I need. I'm expecting this team to start slow out of the gate. It's unfortunate that – we have to think that way, but the situations and the stipulations around this season and the amount of time these guys have got together and then add in this injury, you know, epidemic that we've seen this last week, it just it's just tough to feel really like overly warm about this team. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I felt overly warm about the team going into last year and we all saw what happened. So <laughs> yeah. there's a way they could they could, there's a way they can figure this whole thing out, but I think it's safe to say your expectations should be altered a little bit. And um, the good part is they start the year with a bunch of winnable games after Baltimore. And uh, you never know, a weird situation with no fans in the stands week one. You never know what could happen. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. But that's sort of where I'm at mentally with the group. Okay. Jake, I'm going to move over to the offensive side of the ball here for a moment, if that's okay. Um, we Are you concerned here with – I mean, they're doing install. It's camp. You know, it's new offense. But it hasn't looked good. And, and – you know, from what we can glean from, you know, training camp live or whatever, and from all, you know, accounts that it hasn't really looked really good offensively and uh, kind of a really poor day the other day, but before a day off today, uh, are you concerned about the offense? It's a tough question. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> concerned, but my, my concern isn't like a disappointing concern. Like I, I'm concerned because I want them to win games ultimately. Like I cover them, I write on them, but I'm a fan yeah. at heart. Like yeah. I want them to win games, but 
um, I shouldn't be concerned. Okay, I shouldn't be disappointed because the challenges that come with installing an entirely new offense in the short amount of time that they've had any face-to-face contact is overwhelming. And this offense is so timing-based and so deceptive-based, like in terms of you need 11 guys doing 11 things at the same time in an offense that relies heavily on different sorts of looks and play action and intricate motions. It's challenging. It's really challenging. So, like, I'm not – I'm concerned for the fact that, like, the season's two weeks away and I want my team to play really well and win football games. But I can't be, like, a disappointed concern because – this is it's almost an impossible task. It's it's right. really challenging. And then mix in the fact that, you know, they dealt with the false positive tests and, and they dealt with Stefanski missing an entire practice because of the whole thing. And it's like it's just it's just very it's very challenging and you you know you add in this is the Browns are one of the few franchises that in this offseason that they didn't know it was all coming, obviously, but they changed everything. They changed their scouting department, they changed their 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 GM, they changed their their play callers on both sides of the football and their preacher at head coach in terms of you know philosophical approach to the game it's all changed in a time that they've had almost no time to all be together and they have had no they will have had no preseason games to do a live run through they won't have traveled anywhere the first thing and this is an important thing man like the preseason is good to play games and do all that shit sorry cussing my bad and do all that That's stuff all you want on this but show, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's important to do those things in terms of letting guys get opportunities and working out some things with your first offense and defense on a couple drives. But like, it's your first time traveling together. It's your first time doing all of those things that go into traveling to away games and like the process by which you go in team hotels and you get on the plane and all of that stuff is it's it's important to iron it out in the preseason. They don't get any of it and yeah. they don't get any games. They don't get a break mentally for games. And I know everybody's dealing with the same stuff, but. They have to go to Baltimore week one, and, and that'll be their first experience on the road. So it's like I, I just did like – this is like year negative one for Kevin Stefanski and the group for me. Like I want to see some positive signs, and that would be great. But at the same time, there's just – there's so many things that, that they're dealing with this year that are weird that people aren't talking about enough. So um, I'm kind of trying to keep it as best tempered as I can. And then, you know, you got to add in too that it's it's just <laughs> – it's a situation where – the group itself is coming together out of nowhere, but you're always kind of threatened that the season could be canceled. There's just a lot of, of different things that are going on with, with Stefanski and the group that, that makes me think that you just almost have to wipe it out. It, but yeah. it sucks too. I'm kind of rambling, but it, it sucks too that this is the time that the contract situations have aligned and like, you know, Kareem hunts mm-hmm. on a cheap deal. Nick Chubb hasn't hit his big deal yet. You still have Jarvis and Odell in an affordable state. You still have Baker in an affordable state that they will probably never have a better collection of offensive talent than what we see this year. And to think it could be wiped away in terms of the the ability that they've had to all get together and be on the same page and have a normal season is just extremely unfortunate because – Obviously, like I said, the contracts and the money structure of the team may never allow for more offensive talent to be on one team in Cleveland than we've seen. Because this is, without a doubt, the most talent we've seen in Cleveland since this, the return in 1999. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, that that's kind of even in my article about Logan Ryan, that was kind of what I was writing is my fear here is that this is going to all go to waste, right? Like uh, you just see the collection of talent and you see the investment on the offensive side of the ball and you know what that should result in. Um, or, or not should, I guess is not the right word, but what you would expect it to and, and the hope that it should be with that. And then you just see all of these things working against what they're trying to accomplish. And, 
uh, yeah, it's a shame. And then you get the injuries thrown on top of that. It, you know, it's just kind of uh, a lot right now, certainly. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, all hope is lost or anything like that. I feel like they can they can uh, get it together. It just may take a, a little bit longer, I think, uh, here. And and, and, and everybody's dealing with it too, Brad. Yeah, Like everyone's absolutely. dealing with the same situation. So it's not like any team has an advantage. But there are certainly teams that are returning coaches, returning players for a long time. Like Pittsburgh's in a state in which they're doing things well past what Cleveland's been able to do in terms of functionality in both sides of the football. Baltimore with Greg Roman back and Lamar back and all those yep. guys back. There's a level of continuity there that the Browns are missing. Doesn't mean they can't overcome it, but it just means that it's going to be way more challenging than than people really anticipated. Uh, all right, so I have a question here for you. This, so I've been peeking here, Jake. I've been peeking at uh, Vikings training camp live. I don't know if you've been doing that at all, but you know you can kind of peek over there and get a feel for things. So I was curious, you know, uh, just what Gary Kubiak is going to do and, you know, the differences, you know, because he was advising Stefanski and, and it's his offense sort of, right, or version of it. Um, and and then I read an ESPN article uh, and I and I it re- actually reminded me of a post that you made a while back and it was, it was about the play calling tendencies of Stefanski um, being so run heavy. So, you know, second most uh, last year at 47%, 58% of the time uh, when leading, 55% uh, the time run on first and second down versus Kubiak's play calling uh, when he was last playing call or calling plays, pardon me, in Denver, where it was passing 54% of the time on first and second down. And in there's uh, this narrative they're kind of in uh, Minnesota that uh, it, their offense is going to be less predictable and more aggressive with Kubiak uh, calling the show. And then, you know, just to elaborate on that a little bit, uh, you know, Cousins kind of mentioned that nothing has really changed. He still approaches it from like a 30,000 you know, foot, operates from, you know, a view of 30,000 feet and, and lets uh, the, his uh, – I don't know. He's related to him somehow. Cliff Kubiak or something, I think, maybe is the offensive or the uh, quarterback's coach in the offensive line. They're kind of running the offense, and Kubiak's just kind of sitting back and letting them do their thing, but he's going to call the plays and everything. So I guess my question is, Should do we expect that same play calling from Stefanski, or should we expect a more aggressive Stefanski? How much of that is – because Mike Zimmer had his thumb on him a little bit because that's just kind of the way he likes to play football. Um, any thoughts on that? Again, tough to tell. I, <laughs> I think that it could be. Zimmer Zimmer obviously is is uh, was putting Stefanski with Kubiak, and he liked the idea of, of Kubiak teaching him and, and giving, uh, giving him all the inside information he has and working with him to develop his ability as a play caller. And I think that it probably panned out and um, – you know, it obviously worked for the Vikings, but there could be a level of Zimmer felt very comfortable controlling Stefanski. Hey, man, you're running the football here. You yeah. know, that sort of stuff where a head coach flips to the offenses because Zim's a defensive guy by nature, flips to the offensive side and says, hey, man, I want you to milk clock here, run it. And uh, it could happen often. Like they, they could have an idea that they want to throw in certain situations and and 
they were they were vetoed. And it's also too it could have been the approach that they thought was best to handle Kirk Cousins and a team like this last year. And I think people get caught up in in uh in, in wanting to say things will be better, but the grass isn't always greener. So right. we'll see. Kubiak could could do some some different things. There could have been a level of squatting that happened, and and Stefanski wasn't always able to determine what he wanted to always do. That's the big learning curve for me this year: is how different is he in approach than last year when he's the guy who can who can call the plays. We don't know yet. Still, he might not call plays. He might leave it to Van Pelt. So we'll have to see. Still, but um, you certainly feel like it could be different. But that's that's again, it's totally totally a guess that I don't want to. You know, be out in front of too far because I just don't know. So we'll have to see. Yeah, Jake, do you have a preference on who calls plays? I mean, he may have Van Pelt do it right. Uh, they were going to use the preseason as you know a chance for him to do that, but that that's gone. Um, I've had multiple people tell me they think Van Pelt's going to call the plays uh, on the show, but I kind of would prefer to see Stefanski do it. I don't know if you have a preference. I'm a believer that if if head coach the job is earned by a guy as a head coach who, who was uh, who's predicated on offensive of uh, offensive play calling or design. They should call the plays. I I, I think I agree when it matters. Like that's why I didn't love Todd Haley being hired. You hired Hugh Jackson because you thought he could handle calling offense and his structure, his design. Then let he, if you're going to keep him, you're going to trust to keep him. Don't put an offensive coordinator with him because you feel like you have to find a guy who can call plays. That then you're taking away a strength of the guy and a big reason he's here. I think Stefanski's brought here because he's very good at calling plays, and I think you can learn and get better at the other aspects of being a head coach over time. But do what you do best and put points on the board. That's how you keep your job. That's how you keep things going in the right direction. I'm going to trust Kevin to figure it out. Like if he thinks to if he thinks Van Pelt can handle it, that's fine. Um, and, and you know, I have no reason to believe he can't if the, if the communication between those two is right. And I just feel like Kevin's very communication-oriented. Um, but but yeah. if it were me and if it were if I got to decide who called the plays, of course, I'm picking some fancy because there's an actual track record of, of some success there. And, and um, if he doesn't, if he passes it off, I'm going to trust he has the best idea in mind. And if not, he has to understand that eventually you do pull the plug on that and go back to doing what you do best. Yeah, no question. Um, so uh, back to la- last question here for you, uh, Jake. You've been outstanding, and thank you so much again. Um, but last question here. We talked a little bit about how the offense is coming along a little more slowly than maybe we'd like, uh, but that maybe is to be what is expected at this point. However, I can't help but notice that Baker has not looked great. Now, I don't know if that's just a – um, yeah, I mean, he looks great physically. He looks fit. He looks, you know, but uh, the ball's hitting the ground a lot, and uh, there are times there are open receivers, and he's just missing them, kind of like last year a little bit. And, and you wonder if maybe he's, like, in his head a little bit because of the mechanical changes that they made with him or uh, the fundamental changes that they made uh, with his footwork or whatever. Um, are you concerned about Baker's accuracy? I mean, it's not something that I really thought we'd ever really be asking about, you know, when, when we drafted him is his accuracy. Uh, but here we are. Uh, are you concerned about that at all? So from Baker, from a holistic perspective, looking at the big picture, I, I am I'm not I'm I'm again back to my early expectations. I'm not all too worried. It's a completely okay. new offense. This is unlike any offense he's ever run dating okay. back to Oklahoma. This is more under center based. This is more play action based. It requires more traditional footwork from quarterbacks than he's accustomed to using. It's more 
uh, three-step pocket from the gun, shallow shallow pocket type stuff. It's going to be different for him, and it's going to take him some time to learn. It would be great if he would have done this from his rookie season on and not had to change play callers multiple times and have three different systems in his head. But again, with my focus this year is patience. I don't think Baker is going to dominate the league this year. I just think it's going to be a very strange um, sort of season in general. I think the offense will come along slowly. You hope by the end of the year it is becoming very efficient for him, but it is totally different, and it is completely different from a viewpoint standpoint, from a footwork standpoint. It's all changing, so it's going to take time. I am in general, though, Brad, worried about the accuracy issues. I just um, I don't love the ball sailing was a tendency in Oklahoma, but I thought he, he managed it and got through it. And I didn't see a ton of it his his rookie year, but it started to take off on him last year. And it's 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 just something I'm monitoring. I don't love it. I'm a big patience guy, so I want to see the kid play five years. Yeah, I want to see too. him play his whole rookie contract. I want to see him get three years with Stefanski. Even if he has another uneven season this year, I'm going to be very, very high on patience with the situation. And um, But I am. I am not – I'm not loving – placement of the football through camp does that does it flip the switch do we see a little bit more accuracy as timing comes along because from the view we're seeing it's not always easy to see who the responsibility is of the issue you need to see the whole picture so yeah we will see but to put it to put it in the way i've been thinking about you know i tweeted the other day this is a really sloppy looking practice this is not good the ball's hitting the ground a ton i'm monitoring it i'm uncomfortable with it but i'm trying to understand the situation and not overreact to it so uh, we we will see, and if we revisit on your podcast at some point this year, we'll talk about it again. But uh, not not high on the panic scale on that right now. But I am definitely like, you know, rocking my head back and forth thinking yeah. about it. Like, hopefully, yeah. it, it 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 can it can be managed, and they can find a way for Baker to feel comfortable and let him do what he does best and create. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly agree with you, and I get uh, you know, I don't, not that I get upset, but you hear a lot of people around town, and it, I know it's a a normal fan reaction to say, oh, you know, or you hear it nationally too, with a lot of the talking heads, make or break year for Baker Mayfield, and I'm like, wait, what? No, it, there is to me, I, I agree with you completely. It's like, how can that be? Uh, look at the position you've put him in, you know, four different coordinators or whatever in, in three years, and. And, uh, you know, you've put made such an investment in him. I, I think you got to see this thing all the way through. Um, I think that's only fair to the organization. So, you know, I was quite interesting to hear you say that about the five years. I want to see all five years with him, too. And, and, and it doesn't really matter to me. It matters, certainly. But there's, I'm not going to write him off if he struggles again this year. Um, so uh, I agree with you 100% there. And, and, and certainly it's... It's something that I'm telling myself in patience, but I, I agree with you 100%. When I see – it's just the, where he's putting the ball sometimes. It's, it's just uh, I'm a little bit worried, and I kind of ex- kind of expected to see it cleaned up a little bit. Uh, but like, like you said, too, uh, we don't really know. The angle's really bad. We're not really seeing it, who's at fault all the time. And, and uh, you know, uh, hope for the best as the offense comes along that, that he does as well there, too. Uh, he's Jake Burns, uh, film analyst at uh, and football writer at the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, he heads up the OBR Film uh, Room Breakdown podcast and YouTube channel. You can follow uh, the podcast and YouTube channel uh, Twitter handle at the OBR Film BDN. And make sure you follow Jake himself at Jake underscore Burns 18. Seriously, 
uh, best Browns follow, my favorite Browns follow in town. Uh, Jake, uh, you're fantastic, and I appreciate your time uh, coming on the show. And, and like you said, hopefully we can uh, do that, do this again here uh, after a couple games. Yeah, Brad, absolutely, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. A real, real, uh, real good time today. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. And uh, we're going to send you an All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt. I'll, I'll get your uh, address and size and DMs. We'll send it out to you, and I, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks, brother. Have a good one. And there it was, interview uh, with the one and only Jake Burns. Jake is the film analyst and football writer for the Orange and Brown Report, better known as the OBR. Uh, they do a terrific job over there. Heads up the OBR film room, break down a portion of things at the OBR film BDN podcasting YouTube channel. Uh, follow Jake at Jake underscore Burns. 18 he was terrific. We got through uh, everything that I wanted to get through with them, so really, uh, really good stuff there. As um, uh, got to talk about uh, Joe Woods' defense, got to talk about the issues with the offense, what to do to replace uh, Grant Delpit and company as the injury uh, rash of injuries uh, continues to affect the secondary. However, a uh, post from Justina Anderson today. Um, it was a response more from, uh, I think it was from Kevin Stefanski, uh, but he, uh, basically made it sound like that the other issues, may have been Andrew Berry, the other issues or the other, uh, injuries, although it seems like a lot at once right now, are not as significant as, uh, to have to go out and, and add, uh, personnel except for in the instance of probably Grant Delp, but they're going to have to do something there. You can check out the piece I wrote about uh, Logan Ryan at the Browns Wire. Um, uh, that's the guy I would go with, uh, certainly. I think he's a, a good football player, um, and I think that he would be ready, and uh, that's a transition that him and his... Um, agent have decided that he wants to make so he wants to go to the safety position and and certainly uh i think that would work out well especially uh if the browns are going to be looking to incorporate that three safety look uh you have uh Sendejo and uh carl joseph uh, who both looked good in training camp and then if you were to bring in like a logan ryan uh to fill in there certainly Earl Thomas uh and everything going on with that very problematic I don't know I, I you want to be really careful about that but I have a feeling that they're kicking the tires on it also just because he does uh fit into that scheme and actually been playing in that cover three uh Seattle scheme his whole career would be a uh, savant with it you know basically uh as opposed to putting a guy out there uh, that would just be learning it. He knows it like the back of his hand. So now he also has been very troubled and troublesome 
on and off the field in the last few years here. So uh, don't know if that's the best choice for the Browns. It's kind of why I would rather see them go after Logan Ryan. Uh, and uh, I don't know, as as uh, as Jake said, I don't know if it'll be one of those guys, you know, that's tough. They may be asking a lot. Logan Ryan was rumored to be asking or looking for a multiple-year deal. I don't know if that's something the Browns are looking to do at this point. Um, I just hate to see the talent go to waste, like I wrote in my article. I, I just I don't want to see these injuries thwart the, the potential of this football team. And uh, Jake said the same in a different kind of way, but he said basically the same thing, you know. This opportunity to have this kind of talent, uh, quarterback on rookie contract, uh, deals here and there that just seem to fit right now to allow all this talent to be on, you know, one team, mainly the offensive side of the ball, even though there's a lot of talent on the defense too. But um, And then you have to deal with the uh, shortened offseason, the new regime, the new coach, the new offense, all that done in a truncated period of time, and then uh, having to go play with no fans and um, just everything. It just... Everything is compounded, uh, you know, and now the injuries, uh, too. So not a lot working in the Browns' direction, although I still do feel like uh, they can get some wins early, hang in there, and maybe, you know, this thing will pick up and catch on. Browns got a plan. They sent out a letter to... uh, Season ticket holders, I guess, uh, laying out a plan in regards to getting, I think it's 15,000 fans into First Energy Stadium for the first home game is going to be the attempt. Uh, and it was uh, the pods, the clusters. So they're going to do it in pods, just like we talked about here on the show multiple times. Um, back to when we first heard that from Charles Robinson. That's what stuck with the NFL. That's what we thought would. Uh, and. Uh, so it seems like it'll be that approach where you're keeping groups separate from each other uh, in, in little groups around the stadium as to the only way I can figure uh, if there were a breakout or an infection of multiple people, you're limiting that to one group instead of to, uh, you know, 15,000 people. I guess, Mikey, right? That's the thought behind the pods, I guess. That's what common sense is telling me. I don't know. Uh, the Browns have, so interestingly enough, moved. The the Miami Dolphins' fifth-round draft pick, Curtis Weaver, he's an edge rusher from Boise State. Um, different takes on him, different places. Uh, our guest today did a nice film breakdown on him that you can see at his uh, Twitter page uh, at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, he has it up there on Curtis Weaver's uh, uh, game. 
kind of a scouting report on him. But he um, fractured his foot, going to be out the whole season, so Miami played kind of uh, a risky game that, that you can do to save a roster spot. They they were going to let him go, uh, and, and usually they can get him back on their IR. However, the Browns swooped in and, claim, and claimed him uh, with with the waivers, through waivers, and are, were willing to give up a roster spot to uh, bring him in and stash him for next year. So the Browns get a edge rusher with some talent taken in the fifth round uh, with an injury that he'll recover from. And in, in 2021, he'll become available to the Browns. So nicely done there by... Uh, Andrew Barry. They uh, also uh, picked up off waivers today. Wide receiver Damian Willis. Uh, he was cut yesterday, Tuesday, the 25th of August, by the Bengals. He's a 2019, so last year was a UDFA, undrafted free agent from Troy. Um, he's 6'3", 204 pounds. He appeared in 10 games. For the Bengals, started two as a rookie, actually, uh, and uh, um, yeah, so he caught a couple balls and nothing, did nothing crazy or anything like that. But um, there, there you have that. He he will uh, join the team. Won't be permitted in the building until uh, COVID testing protocols uh, are taken care of. So. There's that, and that's just kind of the two acquisitions that Andrew Barry was able to make. Really kind of a, a tricky, nice little uh, move there to get the Weaver kid. So that's that's good. Um, keep your eye out. I mean, they're going they got to add somebody in the secondary here for sure. Uh, a couple thoughts on camp. I talked a lot to Jake about my concerns with the offense and Baker and everything there, but a couple other things I wanted to point out. Uh, Donovan Olumba on a one-year deal from uh, the Dallas Cowboys, I like a lot and think that he very might have uh, already even played his way onto this roster. He looks different than anybody else out there at corner. He is a big dude. Big, strong guy, big, tall guy, uh, six, maybe six, two, six, three, two. Is it? Yeah, you got him listed at like 209, but I think he's more like 220. I mean, he's a big boy and he can run and he can play that corner. Uh, he plays that press corner pretty well. Uh, he's done a nice job. He's looked really good in camp, and I'd like to see him make the team, uh, at corner. Speaking of corners, now, right now, Greedy with a shoulder, Terrence Mitchell uh, with a groin, I believe. Uh, but they're they're dinged, Denzel uh, as well. Those are your three best corners, and it's obvious, right? Um, and once again, as last year is the concern, is that they are viewed as all guys that just play outside. So the outside corner. So... Really, you don't get your three best corners on the field at the same time. For me, that's something I would be looking to try to do, uh, is move 
maybe Denzel inside. I'm sure he could do it. Uh, you don't want him to get beat up playing the run game, so maybe you try Money Mitch inside. Uh, or you, you know, that would probably be the most ideal for me because I feel like he could play the run pretty well. But I mean, if you're going to start Greedy and Denzel and Money Mitch is going to sit on the sidelines as your backup cornerback uh, to those two on the outside and then not even get in in sub packages, that's a waste of talent because he has had a terrific camp and he's a, he could start for a lot of teams in the league at corner. And for me, you got to get your best three corners on the field, however you figure that out. Uh, but so I, I would like to see that happen. Um, although may not, may not. Uh, the battle for the third wide receiver position is we've heard in this offense majority of the time they don't, you know, he's not going to get a ton of uh, play or throws to the third wide receiver. He may get in that rotation there and uh, get some action, but it's between Higgins, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Kaderil Hodge. I mean, the way they use Hodge, it almost looks like that's who they think could do it. Now, he's a special teams ace. That helps. Donovan Peoples-Jones can return. That helps his cause. Higgins has just shown up really recently in the past couple of days of camp. I think straight receiver-wise, right now, Higgins is the best of the the three for your third wide receiver. So I'd like to see him continue with that momentum and earn that spot uh, at the third wide receiver spot because you don't necessarily, I don't think, need to depend on your third wide receiver to play special teams as much as you do your fourth fifth and sixth uh which i think people's jones who has looked good it it certainly looks the part looks great out there size athleticism wise and Kadaryl hodge uh i would think will make the team for sure all three of those guys it's just a battle for me of who will be that guy that gets in that rotation you know when they run a shot play that's incomplete and you got to get another wide receiver in or they do go to 11 personnel or whatever, uh, that, you know, Higgins uh, be the guy out there. I would like for that to happen. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure that the other guys will get their shots as well. No preseason has really got us guessing on a lot of stuff. Now, some news, and it was more of a fantasy report than anything. Uh, we're finishing up here on All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm Brad Ward. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show, the interview with uh, Jake Burns. Uh, uh, earlier from the OBR uh, is the uh, featured presentation here today. Uh, but uh, just kind of cleaning up on some thoughts I had about camp and everything. But some rumor uh, on towards fantasy guy talking I I was a fantasy guru guy I heard talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt splitting carries it you know about 15 each and that he had heard that rumor I I can't imagine that uh certainly that changes their fantasy value and 
I must admit, and and we did broadcast it live for any of you that caught it. Uh, I will encourage you to keep your eyes out for uh, results, and I'll talk about the team from time to time here on the show. But the in the inaugural first ever podcast versus podcast fantasy league, I did take Nick Chubb with the eighth pick in the draft. Uh, so let's hope that's not the case with the fifteen and fifteen. No, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I don't think it'll break up that way. I think I think that uh, Chubb will get the ball 20 times a game and then, you know, maybe kind of whatever's left if you're going to run it 25, 27 times. Hunt will get those touches as well as some touches in the pass game uh, and maybe a little creativity to get him the ball too. But they both look great uh, splitting 15 and fit to 15 in a, you know, running it. 25 to 30 times a game and splitting it evenly. I just don't see that. Um, I could be wrong. I'd be surprised. It's, you know, so much of just running the ball is about a rhythm and a feel for the game. And maybe they're going to try to ride the hot hand. But um, I feel like if you want Chubb to be the guy that he is, that he needs, you know, he's going to get the ball sometimes and get two yards, three yards, but later he's going to pop one because he was in the game and getting a feel for it, especially in this wide zone scheme, which they both look great in. So, uh, yeah, so fun stuff with the uh, Fantasy Podcast versus Podcast League. Uh, I did a live uh, stream or a live uh, recording of the draft the other night. So got that team together. Going to take on the Feeling Dangerous podcast in week one. Uh, so look for those results. Uh, cheer on, uh, of course, your favorite podcast, All Eyes on Cleveland. You got to be rooting for them, right? For me, the general manager. And I'll take any advice anybody's got out there for me. You want to talk to me about the squad? Talk to me about the squad. We can do it on Twitter. For reals. Hope you enjoyed the show today. There's my camp thoughts, notes on acquisitions. The interview with Jake Burns was fantastic. Uh, And I think that you uh, all will enjoy that uh, very much. Make sure you go check out uh, Thrive fantasy app uh, sign up prop up use the promo code eyes e-y-e-z to get the free $20 when you deposit $20 and pick your prop bets in a new kind of daily fantasy sports uh, get our show at alleyesoncleveland.com where all popular podcasts are found for Mikey on the ones and twos I am Brad Ward this has been All Eyes on Cleveland and we are out.